Welcome to Stop Christian Nationalism, a podcast that is dedicated to the popular movement against Christian nationalism. Hey, go ahead and be a Christian if that's what you want to be. That's your personal business. Christian nationalism is one version of Christianity that seeks to seize political power in order to destroy American democracy and replace it with a totalitarian theocracy that forces everybody to convert to Christianity. That is treason, and it's everybody's business. For more information about the resistance against Christian nationalism, there is plenty of material for you at StopChristianNationalism.com. It was a week full of bombshell news, and the biggest story centered around the person who has become the new messiah for Christian nationalism, Donald Trump. Early in the week, Donald Trump received warning in advance that the FBI would be searching his mansion at the Gulf Resort of Mar-a-Lago down in Florida. Trump's lawyer was given a search warrant that had been obtained from a federal judge. The judge approved the search warrant after he had been presented with evidence indicating that Donald Trump has violated the Espionage Act. Specifically, it has been learned that Donald Trump is alleged to have stolen an immense number of documents classified top secret Some of these documents are alleged to contain information about nuclear weapons technology and included not only written information, but many photographs as well. What's more, it's known that Donald Trump has already acknowledged taking top-secret classified materials. When he was asked by the National Archives to return the stolen classified documents, Trump refused to return much of the material and tried to keep it hidden in his Mar-a-Lago mansion. In this context, Christian nationalists erupted into an uproar this week. They were outraged that Donald Trump was served with a search warrant that had been obtained through standard legal procedures in accordance with the Fourth Amendment to the Constitution. Now, when I say that Christian nationalists were outraged, I don't just mean that they expressed hurt feelings. They went much further than that. They claimed that obtaining a search warrant to search the mansion of a billionaire who has been discovered to be in illegal possession of top-secret classified documents about nuclear weapons is tyranny. In order to confront this supposed tyranny of a search warrant, Christian nationalists began calling for civil war, and they weren't abstract about it either. They showed up outside of FBI offices with weapons in Phoenix, Arizona. They called for a violent uprising against the FBI, using religious language to do so, even claiming that President Joe Biden is the Antichrist who must be killed. U.S. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, who proudly admits to being a Christian nationalist, declared that a civil war has begun, and then wrote, quote, What is happening will not be tolerated. We are coming, 
Unquote. Yes, Congresswoman Green actually used three exclamation points for that one sentence as she made this claim. Christian nationalist politicians in Florida seemed especially eager to start a civil war. Florida Republican congressional candidate Laura Loomer converted to Christianity and then called for violent attacks against American democracy, writing, quote, Time to take the gloves off. It's been time. If you're a freedom-loving American, you must remove the words decorum and civility from your vocabulary. This is a war, and it's time to obliterate these communists. Unquote. Another Republican congressional candidate from Florida, Anthony Sabatini, demanded that FBI agents be thrown into prison in order to protect Donald Trump from being investigated for his criminal activity with America's nuclear weapons. Christian nationalist Carmine Sabia threatened violence too, writing, quote, If you are not for Donald Trump, you are my enemy. This is war. Pick a side. There is no gray area. Unquote. The Christian nationalists didn't just keep to violent words either. Ricky Walter Schiffer took a rifle and a nail gun and attempted to kill FBI agents at a field office in Cincinnati. His assault failed miserably, and Schiffer tried to run away, but when cornered by law enforcement officers, Schiffer raised his rifle in an attempt to kill the police officers, but was shot dead before he had the chance. Before he was cornered, Schiffer sent out a few last desperate messages calling for a war against America on behalf of Donald Trump. He explained that his failed attack against the FBI should be the catalyst for a nationwide violent revolution. This Christian nationalist violence didn't come out of nowhere. Republican party leaders at the CPAC conference had called for bloody violence in the name of Christianity just a week beforehand. Dan Patrick, the lieutenant governor of Texas, took to the stage at CPAC and declared that a civil war was underway in which Christians must take arms against non-Christians. Patrick said, You know, scripture says, the horse is made ready for battle, but the victory is the Lord's. But we have to be ready for battle. We have to be ready for the fight. Because we are not in a fight any longer of Republicans and Democrats of the old days. We're in a fight of lightness and darkness. We're in a fight of powers and principalities. It's important that we pay attention to both the content and the tone of this inflammatory language. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick was inciting Republicans to violence, going beyond mere struggle and effort, into a call to fight a battle against secular Democrats. This language of war from his CPAC speech, was not just inciting a standard civil war of American against American, but 
a religious civil war started by Christians with the aim of claiming the entire United States as the property of Christianity, so that, quote, victory is the Lord's, unquote, with the Lord being the Christian God, and the, quote, powers and principalities, unquote, of the Democratic Party, cast as literal evil spirits, demons of darkness who can be murdered en masse because they are not truly human. Dan Patrick's violent Christian nationalism at CPAC was a call for a religious genocide of non-Christian Americans. Of course, his language of Christian civil war against America was not a lone voice on the CPAC stage. Every Sunday, preachers at Christian nationalist churches urge their congregations to take up arms and commit godly violence against their non-Christian neighbors. People like Ricky, Walter, Schiffer hear these incitements of violence and are ready to obey. Just as Dan Patrick was sending out instructions for an armed Christian insurrection, Christian nationalists over in De Quincey, Louisiana, turned their wrath against a five-year-old girl named Zoe. Zoe had already been through a hard time. After her father was killed in an industrial accident, Zoe was alone. Her mother was already dead. So her aunt, Jennifer Parker, stepped in and adopted her. Then, just two days before Zoe's first day of kindergarten. She was kicked out of school. Now, what did Zoe do? The child was accused of no misconduct. The only problem was that her new mother, her aunt, Jessica Parker, is a lesbian. The Bible Baptist Academy explained that as a Christian private school, it claims the power to control the sex lives of the parents of its students, because Jessica Parker's sex life wasn't what the Bible Baptist Academy thought it should be, Zoe would be kicked out of school. To add insult to injury, the Bible Baptist Academy sent out a statement to the public saying that it was controlling parents' sex lives and kicking Zoe out of kindergarten as an act of love and compassion. Now, keep this in mind. Jessica Parker is a Christian. She isn't a Zoroastrian or a Buddhist or an atheist. She and her adopted daughter, Zoe, who has also been raised to be a Christian, were discriminated against simply because they did not belong to the precise kind of Christianity that the Bible Baptist Academy demands. It isn't just non-Christians who suffer from the religious discrimination of Christian nationalism. Christian nationalists can't seem to stop themselves from turning their animosity against other Christians. In another case of Christian nationalism run amok this week, the school board in Hayes, Kansas, voted twice to prohibit non-Christian forms of religious expression by students, while allowing Christian 
forms of religious expression by its students to continue without any interference. The Hayes Public Schools were made into a Christianity-only zone of religious intolerance where students could wear Christian jewelry, showing a nearly naked man's body nailed to a torture device. But symbols of other religions were outlawed as distractions. How did America get into this horrible state in which Christian nationalists are engaged in violent attacks against the FBI, even as they're using religion as an excuse to kick young children out of their schools? To understand how America got to this terrible place, we need to zoom out and take the long view of Christian nationalism, and how Christian nationalist ideology has been surreptitiously implanted into the most powerful offices of the U.S. federal government. In the summer of 2022, it became painfully obvious that the U.S. Supreme Court has been taken over by Christian nationalist zealots. The swerve into extremist Christian nationalism on the Supreme Court may seem sudden, but in fact it is the culmination of a decades-long plan organized by radical Christian churches in collaboration with organizations such as the Federalist Society to place opponents of secular democracy into high positions throughout the judicial branch of the U.S. federal government, From these positions, Christian nationalist judges have been making small strategic rulings for years. Each one of these legal decisions has seemed minor on its own, but each was designed to create a crack in the wall of separation between church and state. When each of these cracks was joined with the other cracks, it would undermine the entire structure of secular democracy, making it vulnerable to an eventual frontal attack. And this year, the frontal attack by Christian nationalists against our democracy began, launched by the Christian nationalist majority on the U.S. Supreme Court, with its decisions of Kennedy versus Bremerton, Carson versus Macon, and Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health organization. Let's rewind back to the moment where it all began. Nearly 40 years ago, with the dissent of Justice William Brennan in the case of Lynch versus Donnelly. The majority decision of the right-wing Supreme Court in this case concluded that a display of the infant divinity Jesus Christ along with his divine virgin mother, a magical supernatural star, enchanted animals, and three magicians was somehow secular, and that displays of this thoroughly Christian religious message actually had nothing at all to do with an effort to promote Christianity. It doesn't make sense, but that's what the Supreme Court decided. The majority decision in Lynch versus Donnelly 
was a display of profound institutionalized Christian normativity and Christian privilege. But even the dissent in the case accepted the frame of Christianity as the cultural default in the United States. Justice Brennan wrote that, quote, practices as the designation of, quote, in God we trust, unquote, as our national motto, or the references to God contained in the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag can best be understood in Dean Rostow's apt phrase as a form of ceremonial deism protected from establishment clause scrutiny chiefly because they have lost through rote repetition any significant religious content. Pay attention to that phrase, ceremonial deism. William Brennan here is claiming that prayers to God, um, the motto in God we trust, um, the phrase one nation under God, things like this are not Christianity, but are something called ceremonial deism. Well, what is ceremonial deism? Ceremonial deism is pretty tricky. It's a religion that looks exactly like Christianity, uses Christian language to communicate Christian beliefs during Christian rituals, but is somehow supposed to be, nonetheless, not at all Christian. Now, there are no priests ordained in the practice of ceremonial deism. There are no seminaries that teach ceremonial deism. Go ahead, search as hard as you like, but you won't find any church of ceremonial deism anywhere in the United States. So, where is ceremonial deism practiced? Well, according to the people who claim that ceremonial deism is a real religion, ceremonial deism is practiced in government meetings, in government-funded public schools in the United States, and nowhere else. So what does ceremonial deism look like? Here's the kicker. Ceremonial deism looks exactly like Christianity every time that it shows up. Ceremonial deism involves prayers, given in the Christian form. Ceremonial deism demands worship of a monotheistic God, a word and concept that is historically centered in Christianity, not in other religions. And ceremonial deism cites Christian holy texts. Ceremonial deism is an imaginary government religion made up by the Supreme Court of the United States in order to justify the promotion of Christian nationalism through the power of government. Judges invented the concept of ceremonial deism in order to justify the government establishment of religion in open defiance of the First Amendment, which clearly states that government establishment of religion is not to be allowed in the United States. The judges who promote the idea of ceremonial deism are almost always Christian, 
consider the makeup of the Supreme Court that ruled in the Lynch versus Donnelly case that introduced the concept of ceremonial deism into legal precedence. Every single member of that Supreme Court was Christian. Every single member. And keep in mind, right now, 40% of the United States is non-Christian. There has never, ever been a non-Judeo-Christian member of the U.S. Supreme Court. And when I say Judeo-Christian, I say that advisedly. That's a term that's used by Christian nationalists to pretend that uh, Judaism and Christianity come together in some kind of unified state, only then to peel the Jews off as a target for hate, for discrimination, for violence later on. There have been eight Jewish members of the U.S. Supreme Court in all of the history of the United States. No member of any other religion has ever been represented besides Judaism and Christianity. That's it. There have been absolutely no non-religious Americans ever serving on the Supreme Court. But in the Lynch versus Donnelly case, where ceremonial deism came in, every single member of that Supreme Court was a Christian. So the idea of ceremonial deism, as Justice Brennan wrote, is that when Christian language, Christian images, and Christian rituals of worship are repeated often enough in the context of government, they somehow magically cease to be Christian because they have lost through rote repetition any significant religious content. Now, according to the idea of ceremonial deism, when government meetings are opened with prayers to God, using Christian ritual forms and language, nobody believes that it has anything to do with God. This pretense asks us to believe that when in God we trust is printed on American money, when crucifixes are prominently displayed on government property, when children are forced to pledge allegiance to God every day in public schools, and when witnesses in court are forced to swear oaths on Christian Bibles, it all has absolutely nothing to do with Christianity. The claims that ceremonial deism has nothing to do with Christianity are obviously absurd. Not only is the content of ceremonial deism exclusively Christian, but the organizations that promote the maintenance of ceremonial deism are exclusively Christian. More than that, the people who insist that ceremonial deism be practiced in government meetings are followers of extremist Christian nationalism. Christian nationalists are quite open about what ceremonial deism is really all about. Ceremonial deism is nothing more than a foot in the door that introduces Christian worship into the daily routines of government in the United States. 
as is the case with every foot in the door. The purpose of ceremonial deism is to create a doorstop that enables a complete entry of Christianity and complete control by Christianity of the American government. Christian nationalist Ben Carson made this case very plain in his speech at the CPAC convention last week. Carson said, This nation was founded on Judeo-Christian values and principles that show us how we're supposed to think. And we need to teach morals and values once again. And I think we made a big mistake in the 60s when we said God cannot be in our schools. You know, if, think about this, it's in our founding document, the Declaration of Independence, to talk about certain unalienable rights given to us by our creator, a.k.a. God. Okay, it's in our pledge. It says we are one nation under God. Many courtrooms on the wall, it says, in God we trust every coin in our pocket, every bill in our wallet says, in God we trust. And yet, you said you can't talk about that in your schools. You're not supposed to talk about that in public. I mean, in medicine, we call that schizophrenia. And that's, that's, that seems to be what's going on in our country right now. Ben Carson says out loud what Christian nationalist Supreme Court justices know, but pretend not to know. That the purpose of ceremonial deism is to create the appearance that the government in the United States was created by Christians and exists for Christians, not for non-Christians. Once the religious practice of ceremonial deism is in place, it becomes easy to point to its explicitly Christian content as evidence that the United States is a Christian nation and that using the government to promote Christianity is supposedly not a problem. Ben Carson admits this himself, ceremonial deism is a lie. Of course ceremonial deism is not a non-Christian tradition. Ceremonial deism is Christian worship practiced in government with the intention of promoting the belief and practice of Christianity above all else. Ceremonial deism is Christian nationalism. The tactic of ceremonial deism is there to create multiple small cracks in the wall of separation between church and state. Each crack, the ceremonial deists promise, is insignificant, just a little Christian ritual established in government to make Christians feel comfortable. Surely, the ceremonial deists say, nobody could object to that. Of course, Plenty of people do object to the obvious Christian establishment of religion in government in the form of ceremonial deist practices. These objections are dismissed, however, as voices from an unreasonable fringe that doesn't understand, quote, our traditions, unquote. Our traditions, of course, are Christian traditions, even for 
the non-Christian 40% of America because we are forced to follow Christian traditions. We're forced by our own government to do that. One after another after another, Christian ceremonial deist rituals are pounded into the wall of separation between church and state. And each time the cracks are made a little bit bigger as the presence of each ceremonial deist bit of Christian worship is used as further evidence that Christian worship in government is normal. The Pledge of Allegiance leads to In God We Trust on the nation's money, which leads to Christian prayers to open the U.S. Congress every day, which leads to prayers led by school employees at school events across the country, which leads to crucifixes and nativity scenes of the baby Jesus on government ground, which leads to Christian flags flown over government buildings, which leads to mandatory government funding of private Christian schools, the criminalization of abortion, non-Christian religious expression being banned at public schools, discrimination against LGBTQ Americans, a prohibition of Muslims from entering the United States, and Donald Trump clearing a crowd of protesters using tear gas so that he can march across Lafayette Park holding a copy of the Christian Bible to declare himself anointed by the Christian God to lead America. Ceremonial deism leads to communities closing down public libraries that refuse to censor books that disagree with Christian nationalism. It leads to political candidates for federal office declaring that the United States was made by Christians for Christians, and if people don't like it, they can get out. Ceremonial deism creates the sense of Christian privilege that leads American Christians to feel entitled to special treatment that non-Christians don't get. Ceremonial deism leads to the claim that freedom of religion means the freedom of Christians to use the power of government to force everybody else to follow Christian laws and religious practices. Ceremonial deism sets the stage for an unscrupulous politician to claim that he is above the law because he reigns in the name of Jesus. Ceremonial deism is not innocuous. It's a wedge that's used to create cracks of small exceptions to the First Amendment, cracks that are widened over and over again as more and more small exceptions accumulate, becoming large exceptions, hammered deep into the structure of our own government until they create the unavoidable appearance that Christianity is an inherent and fundamental part of American identity and American government, so that American government is for Christians and Christians only. The purpose of ceremonial deism is to undermine the First Amendment of the Constitution, and by doing so, to undermine the entire Constitution. Ceremonial deism is the opposite of culturally neutral, innocuous bits of tradition. Ceremonial deism is an ideological, 
extreme weapon that is designed to penetrate the constitutional armor that protects American democracy. Ceremonial deism is the religious ideology that has brought the United States to the brink of a new civil war, with religious zealots in control of the Supreme Court canceling basic liberties, Christian nationalists violently attacking the FBI, and a Christian nationalist ex-president stealing secrets about America's nuclear weapons. While Christian nationalists carry swastikas through America's streets, vowing to overthrow the government, doing it all in the name of ceremonial deism's one nation under God. One nation under God is Christian nationalism. Ceremonial deism begins with claims of governmental Christian normativity, but it escalates into violent insurrection by Christian nationalist extremists who believe that they have the exclusive right to claim the United States as a Christian territory. Confronting these problems requires us to address both the manifestations of Christian nationalism and their root causes. It's not enough for us to merely decry the most outlandish actions by theocrats who openly advocate for the violent destruction of American democracy. We need to also confront the ceremonial deism that provides the justification for their anti-democratic extremism. One simple thing that you can do to confront that ceremonial deism is to stand up to the most prevalent expression of it that there is. Get out your wallet, take out a pen, and eradicate the Christian nationalism that's on your paper money. The motto, in God we trust, is a lie, because 40% of Americans are not Christian. That makes the motto, in God we trust, just not true. You don't have to stand by and allow every economic interaction to promote Christian nationalist ideology. Take out a pen, and you can ink over the words, blotting out the phrase, in God, and leave the more universal phrase, we trust. Democracy, after all, is about mutual trust across our differences. It's not a top-down command to religious worship that has to be shared by everybody. And trust is earned. Now, another easy way to get involved in the popular movement against Christian nationalism is to find an organization dedicated to that work and join in its campaigns, arguing against the Christian privilege created by ceremonial deism. One such organization is the Secular Coalition for America. The Secular Coalition for America is a lobbying and activist group that represents non-religious Americans, of which there are many sorts. In a larger sense, however, the Secular Coalition for America represents the interests of everybody, except for extremist theocrats who want their religion to reign supreme over everybody else. <laughs> 
If you are a religious control freak, then the secular coalition is not for you. But if you like to live a live and let live kind of attitude, well, the secular coalition for America is working for you. That's because religious and non-religious people alike can be secular. To be secular simply means that you don't push your religion onto other people in the public square. So we might rename this organization the Coalition of Non-Pushy Americans, but I guess that that title is not so catchy. The Secular Coalition doesn't aim to establish special rights for secular Americans. It merely advocates for equal rights for all Americans, regardless of their relationship to religion. All that it asks is that the right of non-religious people to live as equals in American society be respected. Now, unfortunately, to Christian nationalists, freedom of conscience is an intolerable idea. But I urge you to join in the work of the Secular Coalition for America, and you can find them at secular.org. Thank you for listening to the Stop Christian Nationalism podcast, which will be back next week with the latest news about the uprising of Christian zealots seeking to destroy American democracy and with new ideas about things that you can do to join the resistance against Christian nationalism. Learn more about this project at StopChristianNationalism.com. And the last thing I want to let you know about is that the music you hear at the beginning of this episode is uh, from the song Uplifting Motivational Stomp by Marcus Ray. Hey, come back next week. We have a lot to talk about.